This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. Folks, these days more investors are getting into day trading to take advantage of market downturns instead of watching helplessly from the sidelines. The problem? Day trading can be risky and trading the downside can be confusing. But binary options on Nadex let you day trade with risk protection built in. You decide your maximum risk and reward and you can never lose more. And trading downturns is just as easy as trading rallies. Try day trading for yourself on the first and largest American binary options exchange. Trade stock indexes, commodities, forex, even economic numbers. See why over 100,000 members choose Nadex. Find out more at Nadex.com. That's N-A-D-E-X dot com. Trading on Nadex involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. And now... Enjoy the podcast. It's all part of the plan. The more chaos I cause, the less people can focus. They're all getting so tired. So tired. Let me show you. How long ago did I declare war on North Korea and Little Rocket Man? Uh, four months. Wrong. It was last Friday. See, I'm bending time. Hi, I'm Ben Mathis. Welcome to Kick-Ass News. That was a Saturday Night Live clip of Alec Baldwin portraying the only man with a bigger ego than Jack Donaghy, President Donald J. Trump. Since becoming SNL's designated Trump impersonator over a year ago, Baldwin has starred as the president in 16 sketches, earning him a Critics' Choice Television Award for Best Guest Performer in a Comedy Series and a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series. While there's certainly no love lost between Alec Baldwin and the real Donald Trump, he's happy to play the 45th president for laughs, and he doesn't seem to mind that the two men have become inextricably connected. In fact, he's taking it one step further with a hilarious new parody memoir of Donald Trump called You Can't Spell America Without Me, the really tremendous inside story of my fantastic first year as President Donald J. Trump which he co-authored with Kurt Anderson, the host of the Peabody Award-winning radio show, Studio 360. Today, Kurt and Alec join me on the podcast to talk about how Alec started portraying the president on Saturday Night Live, Donald Trump's bizarre Twitter war with SNL, and Alec reveals his secret fan in the White House. They talk about the mentally taxing process of getting into the strange mind of Donald Trump, how Trump has blurred the lines between reality and fiction, and Trump's deep love of conspiracy theories and dictators. Plus, Paul Ryan tells off the president, Ivanka tricks him into seeing a shrink, and we debate whether Trump is the godfather or Fredo. Coming up with Alec Baldwin and Kurt Anderson in just a moment. Today I'm talking with Alec Baldwin and Kurt Anderson, who've written a hilarious new parody memoir called You Can't Spell America Without Me, the really tremendous inside story of my fantastic first year as President Donald J. Trump. Guys, thanks for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. My total pleasure. Thank you. 
Well, I really enjoyed the book. Alec, you're certainly no stranger to Donald Trump these days. And as I understand it, Kurt, you helped coin the famous Trump epithet, short-fingered vulgarian. Is that true? That is true. That is true. Uh, we, we, it's by created uh, kind of recurring epithets for all uh, many of the people that we recurringly wrote about and reported about. Um, and so we tried out various ones for Trump. Um, we called him a well-fed condo hustler, Donald Trump. We called him uh, um, uh, Queensborn casino operator, Donald Trump. And then about a year into it, we, we uh, hit on short-fingered Bulgarian Donald Trump because my partner in Spy, uh, Graydon Carter, had, had done a profile of Trump, but really before he was very well known, which he wasn't back then, uh, and, and came back as we were starting Spy and came back to, to the office we shared and said, you know, this guy, Donald Trump, his fingers are so tiny for a guy that big. And, <laughs> and so as we were then kicking around other possibilities uh, and, and – and thought of vulgarian and then thought short-fingered vulgarian uh, had a certain rhythmic uh, appeal. And uh, we stuck with that and it hit. And, and then thereafter, every time we referred to him in the magazine, which was many, many times, we called him short-fingered vulgarian Donald Trump. And then we, to our shock and surprise, uh, 25, 28 years later, as he was running for president, there it came as the meme returned. <laughs> this this book was the the... Certainly, the first full-fledged uh, uh, return to, to to satire, and for that matter, to Donald Trump, uh, in, in for me in a long time. Well, Alec, you have a little bit more recent experience with Trump. You've been playing Donald Trump for over a year now, and this book is sort of an offshoot of your recurring role as Trump on SNL. What was the origin of this? Did you have this Donald Trump impersonation worked up prior to SNL? Was this something that you did at parties, or did Lauren Michaels call you up and ask you to do it? How did all this begin? Uh, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not an impressionist, but I've been asked to do some of that in the work I've done. Uh, I think when you, when you impersonate someone, it's always better to impersonate someone that you admire. You know? <laughs> um, Lauren contacted me because they were going toward... Uh, a season of what was presumed just the fall. They thought that Trump would lose the election and therefore be gone. So we just do a run of two or three shows that fall. And uh, uh, and then uh, the uh, unimaginable happened and uh, Trump won the election. And uh, the uh, <clears throat> I wound up, you know, at their request, doing it fairly regularly. But it, was, but it was Lauren's idea. And at that point, were you more disappointed by the prospect of a Trump presidency or that you might get stuck playing him for the next four years? To an extent, yeah. To an extent, the circumstances under which necessitated that, yeah, that was not how I, uh, that's not what I had in mind. I, I, I think we could say on the record, I did not vote for Trump. And doing it uh, continually over that year, I mean, I, you never want to undervalue an audience. You know, having an audience for something you do is really, really just so precious. And so I was grateful that we had that audience. You know, yeah, it was really, really great. But 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 at the same time, it was tough. I mean, it was tough to, uh, you know, playing Trump is not a, a lot of fun. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, it's no secret that you find Trump to be a loathsome individual. Is it ever emotionally exhausting or psychologically draining having to get back into the bizarre mind of Donald Trump over and over again? Well, I mean, I think that we... Um, 
We don't spend a lot of time. The cold opening is five minutes. Mm-hmm. And we rehearse during the week, and we have a pretty dedicated rehearsal on Friday evening, and then we do the show and rehearse much of the day. The afternoon, you know, the, the show is rehearsed, and I do my little bits here and there. And for that run, I mean, if I were doing a Broadway show and I had to play Trump for 90 minutes, that might be a good deal more uh, uh, enervating. But <laughs> to do it now, it's not that bad. I mean, I don't, okay. it doesn't really bother me. Do you have to work to get into character when you're doing Trump? Yes. When we do the five-minute uh, cold opening, we had to make some pretty easy choices. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have a lot of square mileage here, you yeah. know, or square footage rather. So I just decided to make Trump as miserable as I possibly can. I mean, how do we just make him <laughs> completely miserable? <laughs> yeah, if you were to boil down the Trump id to one characteristic, I think miserable would be would pretty much sum it up. I mean, here he is the most powerful man in the world, and he broods over old grudges or some slight from people who shouldn't even register on the radar of the most powerful man in the world. And one of his weirdest habits in my mind is that he always seems to end his tweets with the word sad, yes, which seems to say more about him than I think it does about whoever he's bashing at the time. Whether intentional or subconscious, do you think there's something revealing about that? Yeah. No, he, it's, it's just... Uh... He's unhappy. You know, he's an unhappy guy. And I, I think that it's uh, and he's un- that, that was the rule we tried to follow was that he's unhappy regardless of whether, you know, whether it's whether it's uh, whether it's June or whether it's December, whether it's 9 a.m. or 6 p.m., uh, you know, uh, fall or, or spring. You know, he just doesn't he's miserable. He's just nothing seems to uh, nothing about what he's going through seems to bring him any joy. Why do you suppose that is? Is he profoundly screwed up in the head, or is he just a malevolent guy? I really don't know. I mean, to say that he has some kind of neurological disorder or some kind of mental illness, that's for other people to judge. I'm not a medical professional. I mean, it certainly looks that way. It certainly looks like there's something wrong with him that doesn't, uh, uh, you don't want to just say, he he either has something wrong with him, or he's just bitter and rotten (laughs) to the core. You know, there's just there's just nothing that can be <clears throat> no other explanation as to why, you know, he won. He won. Well, in your book, Trump keeps referencing his father, who both in satire and in reality seems to simultaneously be a figure of admiration for Trump and a source of angst. What do you think, Kurt? Is that your best guess as to why this guy's so messed up? Uh, it's a good guess, I think, uh, uh, you know, and uh, and and. So yes, I mean, I don't know if it's the rose, the real life rosebud explanation for why, how, and why Donald Trump acts in a lot of the ways he does. But, but I think, I think uh, um, there, there, there surely are some roots in in his, in the parenting um, that that he had. Uh, so yeah, it's, I, 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 I'm, I'll go with that as as a a, a reason. Um, on the other hand, you know. Uh, the, he has these other siblings who don't seem quite so uh, freakishly injured. Uh, so who knows? Yeah. Well, I love that you guys have Ivanka convincing him to see a shrink in the book. <laughs> well, a shrink who 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 he doesn't know is a shrink in in the spoiler alert readers right. uh, in this fiction. Yes. Uh, um, and and uh, I have no. I mean, he has said publicly that he has never seen a shrink. Um, um, and I, I expect that maybe one of the one of uh, true, unlike so many of the things he says. But um, yeah, I do have his daughter um, wanting to have him get uh, professional help, which, <laughs> as, as far as I know, is an entirely uh, 
fictional account. But this is something that we've heard discussed on the floor of Congress in recent months, that there should be a presidential psychiatrist to make sure he's mentally stable. And I mean, I think there ought to be one for any president, anyone who has that amount of power and that amount of stress, I would think could use someone to talk to. Well, that, that you know, I, I agree. And that's, you know, why 50 years ago they passed, or what, one of the big reasons they passed the 25th Amendment 50 years ago is in case mm-hmm. uh, somebody sitting in that office became um, uh, unfit in, 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 in one of those ways that a, that a professional might be able to diagnose, yeah. absolutely. Right. And when I read this book, I constantly found myself having to go online and consult Wikipedia to figure out which parts were pure satire and which <laughs> things he actually did or said, because his behavior is every bit as bizarre as anything you guys could write. Did you want there to be enough kernels of truth in this book that you could blur the line between reality and fiction, perhaps as a way of drawing attention to the degree to which America has normalized and accepted the absurdity of Trump? I mean, yes, yes. Uh, is is the short answer, and and I feel like we've been successful. If if you had to, you, you were confused about what was real and what was uh, fiction, and and uh, so yeah, I mean, the, the idea that this guy, after all, Donald Trump is is like a fictional character, more mm-hmm. like a fictional character than any president we've certainly had, uh, certainly, and and. And so the idea, the, the intention, the challenge was to create this version of him and his relationship with his family and his aides and, and the world and reality that was a little more extreme than, than he really is, but not so extreme as to become a cartoon. So that, that was the challenge. And, and, and yes, so, so if, you're, if you were confused about what was real and what was fictional sometimes, that, then that's, that's fantastic. And, and what happened more than once is uh, I'd, I'd write some fictional thing about musing about firing James Comey, for instance, mm-hmm. or or some smaller thing, and then days or weeks later it would come true. So so then it became a challenge. Oh, do we take this out? Uh, this thing <laughs> really? that we invented, and then he did because then it will just seem like something uh, uh, that we're just reporting from real life. So it was it was. Uh, the the revolving door between reality and fiction in this case was uh, got confusing sometimes. <laughs> well, yeah, I hope that you'll take this the right way because probably the best compliment that I can give you guys is to say that this book is 200 pages of pure rambling nonsense. In <laughs> other words, it captures Donald Trump perfectly. Uh, well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I take that as a compliment. No, it was, I mean, the... the uh, getting sort of lear- speaking that language, learning to speak that language. I mean, we've all heard him and read him, but but it really took. I I, I kind of created my own uh, immersion, uh, <laughs> like a foreign language course uh, in in Trump ease by by uh, reading, especially all of these, in some cases hours long, unedited transcripts of interviews, rather than the edited yeah. ones where where he's. He sounds relatively more coherent, uh, and, and in order to get that exactly that that the digressions and, and random rambles and zigzags um, uh, in in my blood. But on the other hand, uh, the, the, I have to say that as 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 much as a faithful reproduction as I try to do, sometimes it's it this book is more is less rambling than he often is. Yeah. It, it, because if you're as rambling as he actually is, 
it would be incoherent <laughs> a lot of the time. So, so, so I did him some favors. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's true. He has the English skills of a six-year-old. Did either of you ever think that someone so utterly inarticulate could have gotten elected to the highest office in the land? And he won against all odds. I mean, nobody felt this guy had a chance. Nobody in professional Washington, I'm not talking about Breitbart and alt-right and Fox News and all this, you know, kind of Luftwaffe press brigade over there on the far right. Nobody in the mainstream media, which I still have some regard for, I mean, not all of them, but I mean, some of them I still think are trying to do a good job. None of them gave this guy a chance and he won. And did he come in there and go, hey, maybe I need to, you know, take a deep breath here and try to. Uh, recalibrate my settings and think about how I can lead this country? No. And in the book, Trump confides in the people with the least experience, whether it's his Filipino butler or his secret service agent or even his 11-year-old son, Barron, instead of his cabinet or his generals, who he's so proud of. From everything that we hear in the news, it seems like there's some truth to that. He seems to hold in closest confidence the people who are least qualified. Well, who are least qualified and who aren't officially the people who who are working uh, mm-hmm. with him and for him. And then, of course, in the case of his son-in-law and daughter, has, has turns those relatives into people who are working for him. So, yeah, I think I think that does that, that does reflect some truth. Um, and those those, I mean, in the case of his Secret Service agent and his his steward, um, obviously those are entirely fictional characters. But and they were useful as fictional characters. But yeah, I I, th- I, I well observed that I that I think that reflects uh, a, a truth about who he does rely upon. We're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back with more with Alec Baldwin and Kurt Anderson when we come back in just a minute. Folks, I'm very impressed with our new sponsor, AppRiver, because, you know, if you're a business owner, you wear many hats, and it may seem like you need an IT degree to keep your business safe from cyber attacks, especially with all the vulnerabilities that come with having email systems, networks, and devices that allow you access to anything from anywhere. So how do you stay on top of everything, keep your data and your network secure, and still run your business? Pass that hat to AppRiver a leader in cloud-based security solutions for business. With AppRiver's premium email and virus protection, you can be sure that malware isn't going to be your next headache. Take it even further with web protection that keeps your network safe from both external and internal threats, as well as email encryption, continuity, and archiving solutions that can help you face anything with confidence. Throw in Office 365 for your productivity needs, and your business can be fully optimized with no additional software or hardware requirements. Everything comes with a free 30-day trial and AppRiver's Phenomenal Care customer service available around the clock from real AppRiver employees who answer your questions in minutes rather than days. So visit appriver.com kick to get started today. That's appriver.com kick. And now, back to the podcast. Well, for me, one of the best parts of the book is a fictionalized moment in the Oval Office when the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, basically can't keep biting his tongue any longer, and he lays into Donald Trump and tells him, 
quite rightly, I think, that the reason things aren't going well is because, in his words, he's a shitty president. (laughs) Do you wish that Trump had anyone in his inner circle who could actually speak truth to power and say things like that? I mean, don't we all? And of course, in 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 in, it's unclear. In as as uh, you're a close reader, by the way, it's unclear in the book whether 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 he actually said that or he's just right. it's a it's a delusional, uh, insecure sense of people saying terrible things about him. Yeah, of course. I mean, and and, and it's one of the many uh, problematic things, deeply problematic things about this guy is is that. Uh, he doesn't have. He doesn't seem to have those people. Now I don't know. I, I'm not privy to what John Kelly has or hasn't said to him. But, but it, from every account I've read, it, it seems like um, he, he does everything possible in his manner and whom he hires and and his uh, who who he how he deals with people to to prevent uh, truth tellers and from from being around him uh, as much as he can. I mean, he, it's been forced on him a bit, I think, in the case of his chief of staff. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think uh, I think he doesn't. And and uh, so maybe he'll read this book and see that that it's a problem and 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 and, and realize that he has to hire some people that uh, tell him the truth. I don't really think that. But wouldn't that be lovely? He throws his own cabinet under the bus. He's loyal to no one. I mean, we're about to find out how loyal he is to his family because he might have to cut his son-in-law's throat <laughs> in terms of uh, uh, whether he's going to pardon him or not if, if the son-in-law gets indicted. But it's, uh, uh, it's just bizarre. It's bizarre. Let me ask you this. Do you think that Donald Trump could grow into the office in the way that other presidents have? The most vexing about Trump is if he just did things slightly differently from the way he does them now, if he made the slightest adjustments in the way that he deals with the job and people, he probably would have won re-election, which I find that, you know, uh, horrible. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, I think that, uh, I mean, that that's the thing that's the most stunning and the most mesmerizing to me is that he just has not altered his course. He hasn't allowed the job to shape him. All men who come into this job are shaped by the job. People who are more to the left, they're more to the right, they move toward the center. You're, you're, you're the chief executive of a country of 330 million people. Mm-hmm. You're not the governor of Rhode <laughs> Island. You know what I mean? You've got a big, big job with a vast, vast, diverse crowd of people. And the job changes them. And Trump, it has not changed him. And that's probably the most damning thing of all. He has not changed. This profound obligation he has has not changed him at all. Yeah. Trump has this affinity for strongmen and dictators, whether it's Duterte in the Philippines, Al-Sisi in Egypt, or Putin. Do you think if he could, he would try to emulate them and maybe even seize power? Well, Yes, uh, is the short answer, and it's of course why we 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 uh, have in the book this what I love these actually two pictures of the what we call Generalissimo Trump, where 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 Alec <laughs> as Trump is dressed in these ridiculous uh, over metaled um, tin pot uh, military dictator costumes. So uh, I mean I think it's clear that that he he does. Uh, regard those guys as the kind of leader he wants to be, and 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 I think I, I think thought I think his ignorance of what the president 
was and did was was mm-hmm. so complete that he kind of thought he that he believed he had far more power to do things than he does. I I think part of his frustration about yeah. legislation about the Muslim ban and all the rest is wait I'm president can I do anything I want? I think he he kind of thought president of the United mm-hmm. States was more like uh, uh, being being what Putin is in Russia or Duterte in the Philippines. Did you see the press conference where I posted a clip online where they were asking him about his uh, about the State Department and the vacancies in the State Department? And he said and he said this line about basically all that really matters is me. In the end, it's it's me. That's up to me. And you realize you go, oh my God, that's it. I mean, he is like a he's like a. a uh, I'm trying to think of what he's like. You know, he's like he's like some guy in some mythic <laughs> tale where he's uh, 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 a soldier on an island in the South Pacific who no one told him the war was over. <laughs> so the guy's roaming the shores of some Pacific atoll with his rifle in his hand, ready to shoot down all anybody Asian who comes toward him. You know, no one told him the war is over. <laughs> he thinks the war is still going on and he's at the ready. That's Trump. He thinks whatever war is going on in his head, he thinks it's still going on. And as the book goes on, it sort of devolves into these short bursts of paranoia and conspiracy theories. When you look at the president of the United States giving credence to guys like Alex Jones and making a big deal out of releasing the JFK files, do you think that's where we are now? Is he completely far gone from reality and just living in the land of conspiracy theories? Well, it was it was uh, it, it it made sense as a way to give this book shape and and an arc and in a way that is 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 not so implausible, I think, when people read this, and it goes to a relative, pretty, as you say, paranoid place, a pretty dark place. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, I can't say I hope that happens, and, and that the way I was prescient about other things that actually happened uh, and, be, and turned from fiction to reality, I, I can't say I hope, as it's depicted in this book, what we've done here becomes true, but I, 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 I think that the, the, it seems like the, some version of that kind of disorganized uh, paranoid response could happen. I mean, look, I mean, uh, uh, um, you know, a, a version of that happened the last time we had a, a, a presidency that didn't work out so spectacularly with Richard Nixon. So uh, once, uh, as we are now in the, the Mueller indictment stage of this presidency, could, could I imagine uh, uh, some, mm-hmm. some real-life version <laughs> of that? Yeah, I could. Yeah, after you released the JFK files, my girlfriend said, it's like Home Alone in the White House. <laughs> He's just doing all the things that a kid would do in their first week as president. That's very well put. No, exactly. Now, the next thing we know, he'll, he'll go down to NASA mission control and try to fire off some rockets. You know, exactly. Yeah. It makes me wonder if he's already asked to see what's in Area 51. <laughs> well, no kidding. And, 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 uh, and no, and, and, and as you say, I mean, there is that, that 12, that teenage boy or younger aspect to him that is so uh, pronounced. And it's why, uh, I, you know, I have him more and more trusting and regarding as his most brilliant advisor, his, his, uh, his son, Baron, yeah. The more I watch him, the more I think he gets his entire idea of what the president is and does from watching movies. <laughs> well, exactly. Mo- movies and, and, and maybe comic books yeah. uh, or, or comic book movies. Yeah. Yes, indeed.
As a matter of fact, in the book, Donald Trump keeps referencing the Godfather, which ironically, or perhaps not so ironically, was also Saddam Hussein's favorite movie. It's no secret, of course, that he's been alleged to have mob ties. Do you think that's how he sees himself as some kind of Godfather figure and everyone's just supposed to kiss the ring? Well, I don't mean to be uh, glib about it, but I think he views himself as uh, uh, better than any of them. He's the Donald Corleone. Yeah. (laughs) No pun intended. He's not Don Corleone. He's Donald Corleone. (laughs) He's someone who, you know, uh, uh, takes no one's counsel, has no no need uh, for uh, anyone's advice. You know, like I said, he's he's that guy. Uh, on the island of the South Pacific, who nobody told him the war's over. <laughs> and I love how you guys in the book have him constantly changing his mind about who in his inner circle is his consigliere. But uh, I wonder, who do you think would be the Fredo Corleone in Trump world? Who's Fredo Corleone in his universe? Uh, or is it him and he doesn't realize it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good call. No, I don't think he's the Fredo, because I mean, Trump has had some success. He's nowhere near... As successful as he intimates and how he portrays himself, but Trump has been successful. I mean, Trump has made a lot of money. <clears throat> how much of it is ill-gotten is something we'll never know because we're never, or, or, or up, until he gets indicted, we'll not have a look at his tax returns. But but the uh, uh, the Fredo Corleone in that uh, uh, world, um, I want to say it's Kelly. Yeah, <laughs> I want to say it's Kelly. Because Kelly, because of all the people who have, uh, uh, you know, uh, Bannon is a, uh, he's a cleric. Mm-hmm. He's like a Muslim cleric. You know, he's, he's a religious leader. He's a fundamentalist religious leader. Yeah. He, uh, uh, he, and he, and he, and he immunizes himself from any criticism by saying that you know, all of his mm-hmm. views are nearly religious views, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, Manafort is a shark in business and who has so far gotten away with a lot of bad things, apparently. But uh, but Kelly is an idiot. Yeah. Kelly really <laughs> is the pure idiot of that whole thing who just lied, very bad at lying, very bad at covering up his lies. I think of all of the ones who are uh, uh, the bad guys in that, uh, mm-hmm. in that uh, dynamic, Kelly's the most... Uh, unforgivably stupid. Do you have any concerns that by parodying Trump and making jokes about him, maybe it could lead Americans to see him as less threatening or some kind of lovable nut like Ralph Cramden rather than the scary, disturbed person that he is? I, I, I hope not. And I don't think so. And I know, I mean, Alec and I have talked a lot about that. And he, he has real concerns about that in, in the portrayals on television. I think with this book, especially that we go, that it's, that it goes to consistently pretty dark and, and, and touching on reality places and ends in a, in a, as we've said, in a, in a, in a quite a dark place. So yeah, I don't think, I don't think we're in danger here uh, for people to read it. Certainly of, of, of imagining, uh, that, oh, they're comfortable with this nutty, nutty character in the white house at all. I, I think, I think they're, they're, it's, you know, it's entertaining. There's lots of laughs, but I, I think, uh, in the end it, it, you know, as much as a comedy art thing can be is, is a pretty chillingly realistic depiction of this guy. 
In the final chapter, it seems to foreshadow that Trump is about to get us into a nuclear war. Kurt, is that a real fear that you have? Uh, isn't it a real fear that you have? I mean, yes, that's a real fear. But that I mean, I specific to this president. I mean, again, as, as somebody who has, has, has been what used to be mostly amused by this character for many years, I, I thought as he was running for president, like, well, if, if, he, if he weren't the commander in chief, I'd almost be willing to have him as president because it would just be such an amazing thing. And, and yet, of course, the president is also the commander in chief. So, yeah, somebody who I believe is, is not a, a, a stable character and somebody who, who doesn't know much himself and doesn't really necessarily consistently rely on the people who do. Do I worry about that? Yeah, of course. I think that's the big worry. If, if not for that, I, I, um, I think, you know, I anyway uh, would be able to sleep much better at night. You know, I wonder, have you guys sent Trump a copy yet? And do you think he'd read it? That's a very good idea. I'm I'm going to tell uh, Penguin immediately to send a copy to the White House. I think they should do that. Um, and uh, I I uh, I would love him to read it, and, and and I would love him even not to read it, but just um, attack us for it. Um, and and I it's, it's funny you say would he read it because I think uh, I you, I really I wonder. Um, I, I have wondered, and people have discussed, how many books has this guy read in his life? And I have specifically wondered, uh, has he ever read a novel? Which, of course, this is. And yeah. uh, my bet is not, so it would be the first, which would be an historic <laughs> event. And I'd be pleased to, to have provided that, that, uh, that, that possibility. Well, before we go, Trump's been known to brood and tweet about SNL and particularly Alex sketches on SNL. Among other things, he's tweeted that, quote, the best thing about summer was no SNL and no Alec Baldwin. Alec, do you think President Trump gives you way too much thought for a guy who's supposed to be the most powerful man in the world and has Russia and North Korea to worry about? I don't really uh, think about that that much. I know that uh, somebody I know is friendly with somebody who has left the White House, an ex-official. Really? A high-placed official. And the greatest praise I could ever have gotten in my life was that this ex-official said that Melania Trump watches SNL all the time, and she loves it. <laughs> and thinks it's funny as hell. And then she said, that's exactly what Trump is like. So if that's true, I mean, what could be a greater honor than that? Yeah. I am the recipient for my performance as Trump I'm the recipient of the Melania Award. <laughs> well, once again, the book is called You Can't Spell America Without oh. Me, the really tremendous inside story of my fantastic first year as President Donald J. Trump. Donald Trump, a.k.a. Alec Baldwin and Kurt Anderson, thanks for joining me. Best of luck. Thank you very much. Appreciate my it. My total pleasure. Thank you, Ben. Thanks again to Alec Baldwin and Kurt Anderson for coming on the podcast. Order their book, You Can't Spell America Without Me, on Amazon. Or download the audio version, hilariously read by Alec and Kurt, at audible.com. Subscribe to Alec's podcast, Here's the Thing, on iTunes. And look for lots more of Alec Baldwin as Donald Trump this season on Saturday Night Live. Visit the guys' websites at KurtAnderson.com and AlecBaldwin.com and follow them on Twitter at at AlecBaldwin and at KB Anderson. Today's episode was sponsored by Nadex. You know, more investors are getting into day trading to take advantage of market downturns instead of watching helplessly from the sidelines. The problem? 
day trading can be risky and trading the downside can be confusing. But binary options on Nadex let you day trade with risk protection built in. You decide your maximum risk and reward and you can never lose more. And trading downturns is just as easy as trading rallies. Try day trading for yourself on the first and largest American binary options exchange. Trade stock indexes, commodities, forex, even economic numbers. See why over 100,000 members choose Nadex. Find out more at Nadex.com. That's N-A-D-E-X.com. Trading on Nadex involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Kick-Ass News on iTunes and leave us a review. You can follow us on Facebook or on Twitter at at KickAssNewsPod. And as always, I welcome your comments, questions, and ideas at comments at kickassnews.com. I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kick-Ass News. Kick-Ass News is a trademark of Mathis Entertainment, Inc.